0: And let's take our Bibles and open to Esther chapter 6. We're going to continue our study in the book of Esther. You know, the whole book of Esther really does talk about the sovereignty of God. But this chapter in particular, there's so much detail that happens and such precision, such timing of it that I don't think you can look at this chapter and not just see the sovereignty of God written all over it. So that's what we're going to look at today. But I want you to just stop for a moment and imagine being a Jew in Shushan or in the whole palace the whole region of uh, Persia at this time and think of the uncertainty you must have felt. Remember, the decree already signed that Jews are to be killed within a year. You know, Christian, it makes me think of we live in uncertain times, but I'm glad we have an unchanging God. I'm glad we have a sovereign God who still is on the throne and still knows all situations. He knows where we are, he knows what's coming, and he knows how he's going to get us through. Right? But when we're in bad situations, often we forget God is still in control. There's many today that are living in complete fear. Christian, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And if you're living in fear, then you really need to check your Walk with God. Now, it doesn't mean there aren't things in life that don't take us by surprise. But we don't need to dwell in fear. We need to trust God. So we're going to look this morning at the sovereignty of God, and we're going to look at this whole chapter, and hopefully get through the whole chapter this morning. If not, well, then there's, Lord willing, if Lord tarries next week. So Esther chapter 6, starting at verse 1, on that night could not the king sleep. And he commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. Now, I'll tell you, I never thought of that, but if I had a night of insomnia, that's what I should do is have Susan start reading City Minutes. That'll put me to sleep real fast, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it was found written in that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hand on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done for Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servant that ministered unto him, There is nothing done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman was coming in the outward, outward court of the king's house to speak to the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's servants said to him, "Behold, Haman standeth in the court." And the king said, "Let him come in." So Haman came in, and the king said to him, "What should be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor?" Now Haman thought in his heart, "To whom would the king delight to honor more than myself?" And Haman answered the king, "For the man whom the king delighteth to honor, let the royal apparel be brought which the king useth useth to wear." And the horse that the king rideth upon and crown royal which is set upon his head and let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes that they may array the man with all whom the king delighteth to honor and bring him on horseback through the street of the city and proclaim before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Can you imagine how arrogantly he's saying this at this point? Like, oh man, this is gonna be great. Then the king said to Haman, Make haste and take the apparel and the horse, as thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew that sitteth in the king's gate. Let nothing fall of all that thou hast spoken. Then took Haman the apparel and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and brought him on horseback through the street of the city and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. You know, he did this with uh, the greatest of energy, I'm sure, right? <laughs> He was loving this, I'm sure. Yeah. Verse 12. And Mordecai came again to the king's gate. But Haman hasted to his house mourning and having his head covered. And Haman told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had befallen him. Then said his wise men and Zeresh, his wife, unto him, If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews, before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shalt surely fall before him. Good news, Haman. <laughs> and while they were talking to him, came the king's chamberlain and hasted to bring Haman under the banquet that Esther had prepared. So I want us to see <coughs> the sovereignty of God in these four ways this morning. First, we're going to observe how God harmonizes the circumstances. I'm telling you, you could not make this up. This whole chapter is so precise in what God did and the timing of every aspect of it. You couldn't make it up. Secondly, we're going to see God humbled the fool. Thirdly, we're going to see, the way we see God's uh, sovereignty demonstrated is he honors the saint. And then the final point is that God hurries the demise of the wicked. You and I need to trust God who is in control of all. So let's ask for his guidance, please. Father, I pray as we examine this passage this morning again, Lord, that we would <coughs> be reminded of your sovereignty. Lord, that you truly are in control of all things. So Lord, help us to simply trust you. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God harmonized the circumstances. It is not a coincidence. I don't believe in coincidences. It's not a coincidence that the king could not sleep this very night. Now remember, Esther had already invited him to the one banquet. And she said, okay, what I want you to do is come tomorrow to a second banquet. So this is that night of all nights that the king couldn't sleep. And so he says to his servant, Go get the chronicles, go get the minutes of all of our because remember, they write down everything the king does, right? You know, and so I mean, I've heard of some of the ancient customs. I mean, they would write down the time he woke up, the time he, you know, brushed his teeth, the time he did everything. I mean, everything's written down that the king would do, right? Okay? And I believe the Persians were one of those precise people that kept very accurate records, of everything going on. And especially when he's in court making decisions, it's like business meetings today. There's minutes of everything to happen. And so if you've ever read through business meeting minutes, it's not exactly the most exciting reading in the world. And so he's hoping that by having these chronicles written, read, read to him, that he'll be able to go to sleep. But the chronicles that happen to be being read happen to contain, by chance... The account of Mordecai saving his life. No, it wasn't chance. It was God who had the servant pick that very volume, if you will, or scroll or whatever it was, and start reading that one to the king. Now, In this scroll would be all kinds of business. You know, there would be talking about maybe the wars that they're having with Greece or having, you know, some scuffle over here or all this nonsense that Haman's trying to do or killing the Jews. All these things would be recorded in here. But the one thing that caught the king's attention was, hey, yeah, those two guys that were supposed to be protecting me were ready to kill me. And Mordecai is the one that informed me of it. Have I done anything to honor Mordecai? Of all the chronicles that's being read, that one thing sticks out to the king's mind. Do you think that was by chance? Now, remember, after the banquet, Haman had gone home to his wife and friends who advised him, build a gallows, a 50 cubits high. Why so high? I don't know. But still, anyhow, whatever. And be ready to hang Mordecai. So he has the gallows built. Now by chance, just as the king reads this part, Guess who's in the court to come to the king to say, I need Mordecai so I can hang him. Is that precise timing or what? And so the king says, hmm, I've never honored Mordecai. Hey, servant, look out in the court and see who's out there. Well, here's Haman. Ready to go to say, hey, we need to kill Mordecai. And the servant says, well, there's Haman out there. Oh, we'll call him in. So Haman comes in, and I love it. It's not by chance that the king doesn't say, hey, I want to honor Mordecai, but he says this question. He says, what should I do to the man whom I want to honor? Ask it in such a way that, of course, proud little Haman thinks that who else would the king want to honor but me? Because I'm such a great guy. He loves me. He's promoted me to this great position and and I'm so wonderful and why would he not want to promote me? Why would he not want to talk about me? Because I love to talk about me, right? So Haman comes up and now isn't it interesting? The king could could have said it many different ways that would have indicated that this was for somebody else. But the very way in which the king asked the question leads Haman to think, that is him who the king wants to honor. Do you think that was by chance? I believe God even directed the very words in the way the king asked the question. So, here, humble little Haman, well, what I think you need to do is take some of your royal apparel and put it on the guy and take your royal horse and put him on there, put a crown on him and parade him through the town saying this is what's going to happen to the guy the king wants to honor because what does Haman think? I'm gonna be able to put on the royal garments and I'm gonna get paraded around town and everybody's gonna think, ooh, second in command because remember, Haman's kind of vying for that you know, big, big cheese position, right? He would love to be king. And so he says, this is what you need to do, king. And the king says to him, hmm, good idea. Go get the garments, get the horse, get the crown and go put it on Mordecai, the Jew and you go parade him around. I love the way God works. (laughs) Yes, he does. So here's Mordecai walking through town. This is what happens to the man the king wants to honor. I'm sure it's kind of like Jonah, you know, because when you read about Jonah finally going to Nineveh, he still has a bad attitude. You know, I mean, he's preaching, you know, 40 days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. So don't do anything in 40 days because I want to see you all dead. Remember, that's kind of Jonah's attitude as he's preaching, right? Well, I could kind of imagine Haman not being way too excited about, yeah, this is what happens to the guy the king wants to honor. Dragging a horse along, you know. Yeah, this is what the guy wants king wants to honor. You know, I mean, <laughs> he's probably not very excited about this because he's actually very angry because he deserves it. Not Mordecai. Mordecai is just a Jew. He deserves to die. And now I'm honoring this guy who deserves to die. I mean, this guy up on this horse that I'm parading around won't even bow to me. So when it's done, Mordecai goes back to what he was doing, and Haman goes home, again, not by chance. All this, every one of these circumstances, God has orchestrated to the very moment. Because he goes home, and he calls his wife and friends so he can have another pity party, and he wants everybody invited to his pity party again. But this time, his wife and friends give him something totally different to what he expected. Well, Mordecai, or not Mordecai, Haman, looks like your demise is coming. But before he can come up with a new plan, before he can devise something new, before he can do anything else, the servants come and say, time for the banquet, let's go. Everything timed to the second. Now, folks, we read this account. And do we remember it's the same God in heaven who knows every detail of my life, knows every second of my life, and I simply need to trust him because he knows what is best for me and his timing is always perfect. My wife and I were coming home from Walmart once, and this vehicle, I I remember the vehicle in front of us, and I had to stop. It's when the food line was still at the west end of town. And so uh, we forgot something. I said, all right, we'll pull in here and grab it. I think is how it happened. And she'll correct me later if I'm wrong. But the gist of the story is going to be the same because remember I got a good memory. It's just really short. (laughs) Anyhow, we had to stop. But when we got back on Greenfield Heights, that car was in an accident with a garbage truck. And looking at the way the scene was, It appeared as if we had been there, we would be in that accident. It was not a coincidence that we forgot something and had to stop somewhere else. It was God's protection and God's timing. Do you believe God watches over you in such a way? I'm telling you, you read this account, and it is so obvious, God's timing. He cares about the details. Psalm 130, verse 5, I will wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in His word do I hope. But I'm glad God is never late. Have you ever thought, Lord, I needed the answer to this yesterday. There have been times in my life that I'm like, Lord, I think you were late on that one. How dare I ever accuse Him, because He's never late. Psalm 30, or Isaiah 30, verse 18, And therefore will the Lord wait, that He may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you? For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are they that wait for him. Sometimes God waits to teach us that he's never going to be late. Now, I will say there are times when God answers on the 11th hour, but he's never late. Nothing ever takes God by surprise. Have you ever heard the saying, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? God has never had to say, didn't see that coming. God has never had to say, oops. But Isaiah 46, verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. You know what, folks? God has given us a lot of revelation of what's to happen in the future. You know, I've talked to good men who interpret some of the future events differently. Because there are certain pieces that we don't know. But I will say this. God already knows every aspect of what's going to happen. He's already told us enough that we can trust Him, that no matter how it all plays out, we can trust Him that He's still in control. So just some reminders about some of the attributes of God. Because I think we need to be reminded of who our God truly is is so would you hold your place here in esther and go with me to psalm 139 please and i want us to examine just take some time this morning and examine some of these attributes of god psalm 139 starting at verse 1 O lord thou hast searched me and know me thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising thou understandest me understandest my thought afar off thou compass my path Am I lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways? For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. What attribute of of God is the psalmist who, if you see in the title, is David is emphasizing in these six verses. His omniscience. His omniscience. Omni, all, science, knowledge. God knows all. And David very beautifully, very poetically here says, God, there's nothing I have said, will say, think, do, or thought about doing that you don't know. You know all. Think about it. There is nothing God doesn't know. You know, here we are with this coronavirus, having all these experts trying to figure out how is it transmitted? How does it, how does it affect the human body? What is it doing? How long does it last? What are the effects of it? What are the long-term things of it? And trying to figure all this stuff out. You know what? God already knows. Here we have man looking into space because man refuses to believe there's a God, but they believe there's life on other planets. So they're out there trying to find all this, you know, and then I get asked, are there life on other planets? I honestly don't think so. And then I've been told, well, that's very arrogant to think that. No, it really shows that man was the crowning creation of God. But God already knows what's out there. He already knows how big space is. Why? Because he created it. You know, we're trying to figure out still how to cure the common cold. God already knows. And if he chooses to let men figure it out, that would be nice, wouldn't it? He already knows. Just stop and think about that a minute. He already knows. Why am I pausing? Because we live as though he doesn't. Hey, God, I have this problem over here, and we're telling him as if he didn't already know. He already knows. What he wants us to do is trust him. Charlie, read verses 7 through 12.
1: If I ascend up unto heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Thank you. If I take thy wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. And if I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light. Ye, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth at the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to thee.
0: Thank you. What characteristic or trait or attribute of God is being emphasized in these verses? His omnipresence, I heard. God is everywhere present. Now, when I got on the plane and flew halfway around the world and was separated from my wife and then just a three week old daughter, it was comforting to know God was there. And many of you have been in that situation and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Stephen just got back off the ship. It was nice to know God was there, wasn't it, brother? Even though you probably didn't know where you were half the time, God did. (laughs) (laughs) You ever take comfort in that thought? No matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing, God is there. Now, if we truly believe that, let me ask a question. When you go to tell the off-color joke, why do you bother doing this and this and not do this? Because he's still there. When you're going to listen to that gossip, remember, he's still there. When you're going to do something against his will, when you're going to sin against God, remember he's still there. He's everywhere present. Now, I don't understand that because I am a being tied to time and space and so I can only be here. Remember as a child when you finally figured out that there was actually stuff happening elsewhere besides where you are? It really kind of blew your mind, right? It's like, wait a minute. Because, you know... When you see a family, and then you don't see them for 10 years, in your mind, the kids are still that age that you saw them last, right? And then when you see them, all of a sudden, they're like, wait a minute, what happened there? Well, there was, time still happened elsewhere besides where you are, right? We understand the concept, but you understand God was with you and with them at the same time because he is everywhere present. So, I'll use Steve and Tracy again. Their son is not with them because he's a Marine and he's out somewhere doing his duty. But they can rest assured that no matter where he is, God is still with them. John's granddaughter just recently graduated from boot camp. No matter where she is, God's still with her. No matter where I am, what I'm doing, God's presence is still with me. David says, if I ascend up in heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. God is everywhere. Do we live like it? Let's take another attribute of God. For this, let's go back to Psalm 89. And Ed, I'm going to ask you to read Psalm 89, verses 6 through 13, please.
1: Thou hast broken Rahab in pieces, and as one that is slain, thou hast scattered thine enemies with thy strong arm. The heavens are thine, the earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. The north and the south, thou hast created them, Tabor and Hermon, shall
0: what attribute of God is being emphasized here? Omnipotence. All-powerful. I love that last verse. The north and the south Thou hast created them. You ever think of that? Even the points of the compass were created by God. The magnetic field that creates that is created by God. And you want to talk power. So Genesis chapter 1, the when it says, in the beginning God created the heaven and earth, the word created is created from nothing. From nothing, he spoke. And the power of his word brought it into existence. And it worked perfectly the first time. Now, we still are studying things about nature. And we're amazed at how it all works. But God designed it to work the very first time. I'll give you a couple things. So some explorers had found the vanilla bean and they took them back to Europe, but the problem is they would never pollinate. And so they had to manually pollinate these orchids to get the bean to grow so that they could have their vanilla. So uh, one, of the, one of them went back to the area, I forget where it is where vanilla naturally grows, but they went back there and they found out that there's a certain bee called the manipula bee that knows how to lift up this certain leaf on the orchid and get up inside to pollinate it. So without the manipula bee, the orchid would die. Without the orchid, the bee would die. So if they happened by random chance, that means both of them had to be be, be evolved simultaneously and then happen to find each other the very first time. The giraffe has an extremely long neck. Now that creates a problem. Okay, you ever been dehydrated and stand up real fast? What happens? Get dizzy, right? Okay, so the giraffe has this problem because you got a heart down here in the bottom of this thing, and you got a brain 10 feet in the air. So the heart has to pump, to get blood up there. Otherwise, he's going to pass out. So, the heart's pumping and it's got this system of valves to help get the blood up to the brain. Okay, So now he's doing good because he's got his brain with oxygen up there. Right? Okay, Now he has a problem. He takes that 10-foot neck and he puts it down to the ground. Now what happened? all that blood in his neck rushes to his brain and blows his brain out. There's actually a little organ on the back of his brain that acts like a sponge that when he puts his head down, all that blood rushes into that instead of into his brain and doesn't blow his brain out. Without it, the first time the draft put his head down, he would be lying there with his head blown off. If you want more illustrations, I have some videos done by Dr. Job Martin who was an atheist. He actually was a dentist. He actually worked on Air Force One as the dentist for the president on Air Force One. That's pretty cool, actually. You know, you're flying somewhere and you sit in a dental chair. I mean, you might as well. If you don't like to fly, you get your dentist and your flight over at the same time, right? Anyhow, he was teaching at Baylor University. Had some students come up to him and say, Dr. Martin, can you show us how... These animals happen by random chance. One of them was the bombardier beetle. I think one of them might have been the giraffe. Some of the others that I've talked about, he has, he he thought very arrogantly, he said, I will destroy these kids. He said, yes, I'll take your challenge. So he started studying these animals. He said five years later, he had to get on his knees and say, he didn't know a lot about God, but he said, God, you have to be real. He accepted Christ, he found the truth, and he now uses those very animals to teach they could not have happened by random chance. That, my friends, is some serious power. To put it all together perfectly. When I was in AVT school, aviation medicine, we had a senior chief, and we spent, and Chris knows this because he's one too, we spent weeks covering the ear and covering the eye Because would you believe those are actually quite important for pilots to have good eyes and ears? Especially the ear, not so much for hearing, although that's important. But remember, the ear also deals with your equilibrium. Well, we were studying the eye. And it had to be like a week long of the class studying the eye. And the senior chief gets up and he says, isn't it amazing how that evolved? And I thought, senior, you're the dumbest person in the world. I didn't say that to him because it wouldn't have gone over too well. But I thought it, like how could you have spent a week studying this eye that we still today can't get a camera to do the same thing that the human eye can do with all the technology we have and say, isn't it amazing how it evolved? How stupid. Okay, all power, Jesus says, is given unto me. Now, that's all authority in that. But he said in Acts chapter one and verse eight, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. He told the disciples, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'll be able to say in this mountain to move. Now, the God of all power has said to you and I, that he's given us his power, not to abuse for selfish motives, for selfish reasons, but for his glory and for his service you and I have all power given unto us. Now we know this, we have a mental assent of this, but do we live like it? Yes, we haven't gotten off a of point one of the message. That's fine, because I think we really need to drive home the fact that God is sovereign. Folks, this chapter, if this chapter doesn't prove to you how detailed our God is, and how he cares about every second of every day and everything going on, the whole orchestration of what happened in the kingdom that day, there is no other explanation but God. Because there's no way, that's the very night the king couldn't sleep. That's the very chronicles that he read. That happened to be the very moment that Haman was in the court. I mean, we could go down the whole list again. There's no way that could have happened if God didn't orchestrate it. And God cares that much about every detail of your life. Are we living like it? God is infinite. We human beings, I heard this said once, God created man in his own image. And man has been trying to return to favor ever since. Folks, how about we admit that we have puny little minds compared to God. We can't understand God. Actually, I rejoice in the fact that there's things about God I can't understand. Because if I could understand God, it'd make him a real small God. He is so far above us. He's so infinite. There's things that i cannot and will not ever be able to understand about god but that should just simply make me trust him all the more because i'll tell you what i've given up on trying to figure out the things about god that i can't understand because there's so much about what he has revealed of himself that i'm trying to still figure out and grasp and do that it keeps me busy enough that i don't have to worry about how many angels can sit on the head pin of a needle who cares who are going to be the two witnesses in the tribulation? I don't know. Neither do you. But why are we wasting time on it? Because I'll tell you what, living a wholly separated life keeps me busy. Trying to serve God and trust him in every circumstance keeps me busy. So why don't we focus on what we know instead of all the stuff that we don't know? We waste a lot of time trying to fit God in our box. And I just say, hallelujah, he doesn't fit in my box because my box is too small, right? Well, in case you haven't figured out, we're going to be in chapter six next week. That was point number one. But folks, as I was studying this, and I've had plenty of time to study this, the fact that God harmonized the circumstances and reading through chapter six several times and just seeing it, I'll tell you what, it just brought a joy to my heart. To simply say, God, I can go to sleep at night when he allows me to sleep, knowing you're still in control. I can get up every day, and no matter what happens, you're still in control. If you can put together those details of that day, what in the world am I worried about? And it just makes you want to say, thank you, God. Thank you that you are omniscient, that you are omnipotent that you are omnipresent, that you are infinite, you are sovereign, you are all in all, thank you God. Are you trusting him today?